0: I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with
1: my man, Al Levy. What's up, Al? Hey, I'm here. And you didn't even ask and you pronounced my name right, Corey. That's pretty impressive. I appreciate that. I did go
0: through your entire book. I don't know how many times you said your name in the book, but I have gone through your book a couple of times, which, by the way, fantastic job. It really has helped me understand more about the internal things that are going on in these trade companies that I would otherwise not have known.
1: Yeah, I had a front row seat for a lot of years. <laughs> and coming from a family business, I was third generation. You know, family business, especially contracting, by the time you're 8, you're doing something. You're emptying waste cans, <laughs> cleaning the toilets, riding along with somebody to help or whatever you need to do. And my dad, that was the way we got to see our dad. There's a common story in the multi-generational contracting businesses if you wanted to see your parents, you get in the truck and go with them because they're at work every minute. Look, I think that probably gave you a heck of an education, right? Oh, I I was very lucky. It was very stressful. So there's never been a reason why I didn't pick my tagline when I went off to form this business. My tagline has always been less stress, more success. And the reason I always share that is I was making a ton of money. It was a pretty good life, except the stress was killing me. I mean, killing me. So and I it? knew, yeah, well, like one of the more physical ways I was 246 pounds today. I'm 190 and uh, I was eating my stress. That'd be a minor way to say it. You know, all addictions find their root. Right. And, you know, working crazy hours, you know, do we were not a small company. We were 17 million, 70 people. But me and my brother, Richie, who was really kind of the outside guy. My brother, Marty, was the inside guy and all these things. And me and Richie would be the last two techs standing at the end of the night, you know, in 25 techs. And at 2 a.m., we would have the most ridiculous but most important conversations in our office at that time. Or, frankly, because we lived in New York, a diner because we hadn't eaten all day.
0: That's hilarious. That's wild. So. You you know, and that that really brings me to just one of the most fascinating things about you is that you planned out the three years. And we'll get to that. Or I'd actually like for you to talk about that. I just thought that was really, you know, most people don't plan anything out for three years. I mean, that was just really thoughtful of you. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that.
1: Well, people know that I'm kind of a systems guy, you know, all about planning. And I am. But I was not born this way. I was a mess (laughs) and people look, (laughs) no, go, yes, I was a mess. So like most people talk about, you know, your weakness can become your strength. I was in high school and my mom, my stepmom, who basically raised me because my mom passed away when I was very young and uh, she had been a high school teacher and she looked at me and she goes, you cannot go away to college like this because I had no study habits. I would try to do something and get frustrated and I would just quit. And uh, she said, you know, to change your habits. And that really began the beginning of this path of beginning to get ahead of it instead of run over by it. And then I had a lot of great mentors in my life that said, if I didn't start doing this about looking up, I was going to end up in a dead end that I don't want to be in. But we all do that as owners because there's just so much chaos moment to moment. And it just overwhelms you. So you got your blinders on. And there's times to wear the blinders and there's times to take them off. But if you don't take those blinders off periodically, you're going to do just what I was. You're just going to keep on walking until you go off the cliff. And so (laughs) you need to pull up and learn how to plan ahead. So I had gotten really good at it. And uh, I knew the time had come. I I was thinking to myself that I believe firmly in these systems and that I wanted to go off and help the industry. And I knew I could work with any contractor beyond the plumbing, heating, cooling, electric that we were in at that point and make a difference in their lives and their customers' lives and their company life. Because I don't believe I just come to help the owner. I help all three. I help their customers have a better experience, the company go and grow, and then, yes, for them to have their life back, which was my goal for myself originally. I wanted my life back, Corey. I wanted my life back.
0: It's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, the going to the job, hustling, going from one job to the next, and not paying attention to the little things. And I just got finished talking to Ishmael just a couple hours ago. Very similar story. He was a total mess until I don't remember who he said came in. I can't remember now who he said came in and helped
1: him. Was it Tom from Service Titan? I know he's had a... A lot of great people, but yeah, Tom, yeah, I think him he's one of his big guys,
0: yeah, and Ken Haynes, I believe, is another one. Yeah. So let me ask you something. I just want to go back for a second. Do you remember what mentor really got that to sink in when you said, "Did you were a mess," and you had somebody said you had to straighten up? Now there was a series of people, but what which, which
1: one do you, yeah, do you know? Yeah, no, I would say first of all, the biggest mentor in my life was my dad. Uh, I was very lucky to have a very enlightened dad who was really good about coaching myself and my two older brothers. We used to be in business meetings with him and he, his rules of the game was you can sit in the back and listen. You can make any notes you want, but don't interrupt. I hate to say it was like godfather, but I guess it was. <laughs> and so we're in the back stuff that as we go. And at the end, he would be patiently answer what questions you have, what do you want to know? Because We were serial entrepreneurs. We were in a lot of things besides the home heating business. We were a radiant heat manufacturer. We owned a chain of liquor stores. We had dairy stores. We had multi-state real estate. But my father was very clear. Our focus is on the golden goose. So what was the golden goose? It's the business. But we were concentrated only in fuel oil for very many years. So fuel oil heating, for those who don't know, because typically in the Northeast, think of propane. We have trucks deliver, they burn it, you know, they use it, service it. That was our model. But I could see that things were beginning to change, and that if we didn't change with it, our business, our lives would be changing and handing it over to the fourth generation, which is my nephew now, who's full time with my middle brother, who's still there. That would not have been able to happen, in my opinion. And really, the catalyst, Corey, was one day I just looked up. Remember, I talked about taking off your blinders? And I just looked ahead and I said, if we don't get into the trades that our own customers who love us want us to do, they're going to have to go outside of us and find someone else. And then we will be locked out of our own customers' basement. And we're not having that. So we had to really master some things and that's where the system journey takes place.
0: That's really fascinating insight that you had. Cause well, well, how?
1: What age were you at this time? You were young, right? I was, well, you know, like to say there's a series of things, right? Sure. I would say when I arrived officially about 20, I guess I was 22 years old. By the time I hit 25, I had learned a lot of lessons. One of the lessons that I always remember, and that's why I said my dad was so great. I'm in the office. It's probably like six o'clock at night. We're in New York City Union shop. And then there's a guy at the door who has to be at least 50 years old, and he wants to come in and meet with me. And what does he want to talk about? Not the work. He wants to talk about his personal life and how are things affecting at home. And, and you know, it's just like a confessional and he's asking for advice growing up in a dysfunctional family in one way or another. And not passing judgment. Sometimes we're very lucky. But the reality is one of the great reasons people came to work with us and stayed for as long as it was is because we were a supportive family environment that they didn't grow up with, that they sorely missed and wanted to be a part of. So that was an enlightening thing. Also at 25, my brother Richie and I are at some seminar, Gory, and the guy on the stage is talking about, and this is, you know, decades ago, and the guy on the stage is going, the average age of the tech is going to be 50 well, when you're a 25-year-old and you're thinking about 50-year-olds being out in the field running calls and thinking, oh, my. <laughs> so my brother and I got busy, you know, building a very rude, crude training center so we could train them up so we'd be able to break this mold a little bit and get some younger staff in. But we learned a lot of lessons. And the way we typically learn lessons in this field is we fall into a big hole and then the best of us crawl out of it. And the very best of us, Corey, don't go back into the same hole right away. Because most people, the inclination is you're out. You go, oh, that hurt. And boom, you're back in the same hole again. There's plenty of holes ahead. And I was lucky enough to, again, have great mentors, but myself as well, that I'm not going back in this hole. I'm going to fix this so that we can move forward. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You.
0: Look, it's lessons. We've learned lessons in life. I don't think about things as mistakes. I haven't always thought this way, but I do look at these things as lessons. And my God, I've learned some pretty hard ones, but they're the most memorable. The ones that hurt the most, the most, right? When you lost the most money or you lost whatever, fill in the blank. Those are the times that you remember or the times that you had to work your ass off to get out of that hole. And those times, I I think, make it
1: great. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I didn't appreciate it. But let's be clear. At the time, I didn't <laughs> want a life lesson. I didn't want a business lesson. But, you know, when I talk about investing, there were times we invested and we made a lot of money. And that's really nice. There were times we invested, tried something new, and we broke even. Mm-hmm. Still good. There were times we invested or did something new and we lost our shirt. <laughs> and so, but I will tell you, we learned our most valuable lessons when that would occur. It didn't stop us from doing things again. It just awakened us to how to do it better. What did we miss? What could we have done better? And just kind of do that same diagnostic. Most of us, I don't know that we do that. We're so busy with the next hole that we're going to fall into. So that was kind of the thing. When you asked about the three years, I was 45 at the time. I had already been in the business 23 years full-time. That doesn't count all the times that when I was in school, where I was driving trucks and learning the trip, you know, all these things. doesn't count any of it. So I've been in full-time, and I realized, you know, now that I had this stability, we had the everything I talk about in the Seven Powers in place, and we had this ability to take young, willing apprentices with no skills to willing techs with great skills, and then even further on to the best field supervisors you could ever have. We had that skill and that skill freed us up. And then we could do what I'll talk about in a minute, which is how could we have added these other trades? So if that's something you want me to talk about, I'm happy to dive in.
0: I definitely do, because I think, you know, I want you from a couple of perspectives, I'd like for you to talk about that from the perspective of obviously your own and then also of what Could have gone sideways if you hadn't have put some of these things in place before you decided to make that move. If that's, I can't remember exactly how it went, but I think that is correct.
1: Yeah, no, these things were in place, but I knew that I needed, as I was leaving, even though we are a big company, my name was in a lot of boxes. And so my job was to hire really good people that I trusted to put my brothers and my dad in good shape when I left and that's, and I needed some tra- training time to them. I actually taught the people who had attended my class who had now risen to the top levels of our company how to do my training, because I had done it for 20 years. They came in and took, you know, took the reins from me. One year I was doing it. They were in the back doing the same thing I had done as a kid, taking notes. The next year was like we were debriefing and then they were up in the front and I was grading them. And then I let them do the class to see the results and they were doing great. But I needed to find, you know, People in, to take the place that could work these systems and continue the process forward. I've been gone 20 years and uh, they haven't lost a beat. <laughs> Things are different. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, you know what? They're still pretty darn impressive.
0: This episode of the Successful Life podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, Housecall Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. How hard was it? I mean, you had a plan, so you keep thinking about this. If It were me, I probably wouldn't I wouldn't have had that good of a plan. But what could have happened if you like if whoever who if a business owner is listening to this, and maybe he's sitting at five million dollars, and I can't remember how much you guys were at, but let's just say this in it was, 2023 it was about
1: 17 million back then, which was big back then. That was yeah, a huge. numbers are staggering. Yeah, for
0: sure. And so, but if you're let's say you're at five million and you you're hearing this and you think, well, I need to add another service because I have, you know, what formula would you use or did you use to kind of map
1: that out? So we got really good at what we're good at, which was the fuel oil business, which is what we did is we created the operating manuals for that business alone. And we hired in my friend who's an industry writer, Dan Hollihan to help write it and run all these meetings, which is why it cost us in today's money about $150,000 and it was a fraction of what I have today, but that was so big and taking control and building the foundation of the, what we needed to take care of. I had already worked through other things like how to plan and execute before I, you know, I always tell the story is I was coming off the road, working during the day and I needed a project done and I went desk to desk to ask for help, Corey. Nobody could help you because they were too busy. So I just blew a gasket. I said, well, grab everything you have. This is a paper moment come into the office, conference room. I said, put it on the desk. So this giant mound of paper is there. And we started to sift through it. And what we found out is two people were working on a project and neither one knew that the other one was working on it. Or they were working on what they felt was absolute my number one priority. And I wasn't even clear that it was for me, let alone a priority. So we worked through this pile. And that's where that birth of the master project top 30, top five, got to, and then making the top five come alive because you're going to have a crazy week. I don't care what size you are, that 5 million or whatever. I mean, tell me that everything just runs great. You can sit on a beach in Hawaii for a month and you come back, everything's perfect. If you can, stop listening. You mastered it. Yeah, but I doubt it because it wasn't that way for me. So the point of this is we began to put the systems that scale up. I've only worked with two types of companies really good family business or really good partners that work together. They're well liked by people. They scale up and they hit the top of the roof, which means that they can't clone themselves. There are no more hours in a day, days in a week, weeks in a month. They just run out of time. So they need the same system or foundation, if you will, which I call the seven blocks. And that's really what they have to do to put a platform under their company as it exists today and then springboard forward. And the other ones are great companies like Tommy, who could already generate great calls when I showed up, you know, he's 15 million and not making any money, but he knew how to make the phone ring. The bad news is it's one thing to make the phone ring, but if you can't handle it, all you're doing is just ticking off more new customers and you're just blowing everything out of the way and you're unprofitable and you're just digging a deeper hole. So, they too need the same seven systems so that they take control of the company they've already built and then are able to 10 times it with no problem which Tommy is a great example of doing exactly that and a lot of money at the same time that's two things not just great sales and nothing behind it it's phenomenal and it's
0: fascinating because you know you're 100% right if you have systems and processes in place is a repeatable I mean, as you mentioned, Tommy's a great example. He's, it's just rinse and repeat at this point.
1: Yeah, no, he's always innovating. So let's, because I know rightfully so, Tommy has a ton of people that follow him as they should, in my opinion. He's one of the rarest people in that with all this growth, Tommy has not changed that much as a person, you know. Like that's really kind of, and it's, everybody go. well, I cannot, it is available. Well, that's just the way it is. There's a million things to do, but his heart is still phenomenal and he still cares about people. You know, Corey, when I left my job at 48, I didn't need to work. So people ask, well, why are you doing this for the last 20 years? I believe firmly that if you've been given a gift, you are obligated to give back. Now I got paid for that and it was good, but I got to tell you, the money wasn't just for me. Money was for you. Because if you don't put much time, energy, and money in, my dad had a great line. <laughs> he said, sometimes what you get for free isn't worth what you paid for it.
0: He's right.
1: And it's very true. You have to have skin in the game. And so this investing of your time, energy, and money. Now, money is important, but it's not the most scarce asset. Even time you can leverage. It's really about where are you going to spend what I came to call my emotional dollar. So in my wallet, I woke up this morning with only so many emotional dollars. How, when I get to my office, is the best way to spend it? I'll give the example that I always recall. So we were in this awful building that we had been in. It was urban renewal, wiped out our customer base. We had already moved to go service where they had moved to. But we were in this still terrible place. And people were, how bad was it? I go, we used to have to drive two miles to get to a restaurant. And we're in New York City. So, no, it was awful. They were stripping cars in our yard. We had boarded up every window, door, and gate because they broke through it. And we even made the gates break away so that we wouldn't have to put them back on. Finally, the final straw <laughs> about how bad it was, they drove a truck through the side of the cinder block building. And I just said to my family, We're out. We got to go. That's why I who's became they? so good at office design. who's day? They, as far as I told my brothers, oh, they no, no, I was talking about the criminal element that was alive and well in New York City in
0: 1990. Is this is just the a random criminal
1: act. 90s, it was very bad in New York City. Wow. People who go to New York City, you know, mid-90s to 2015, that's not the New York City that I grew up in. It was what I envisioned the wild west when I would look at that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was crazy. Really bad. It's really different now too. Have you been back recently? I haven't been back my, my family that still lives there. tells me about, you know, the homeless problems and, but that's really frankly every city. It's kind of a shame. I don't know too many cities where, because we're in these groups, we talk where it's not much of a problem, but even here where I'm out in Scottsdale, you know, it's just the nature of there's that's, there's a big problem. And, you know, that's something that's really shocking to me living here in America is that, but we're an addicted society, and I don't exclude myself from that. You know, gambling, drugs, alcohol, there's a whole lot of ways we can go dark, isn't there?
0: There really is.
1: And I have an answer. I have actually... And I can't
0: base this on 100 percent facts, but whoever was telling this story, they knew what they were talking about. They were qualified. This is what they said was happening with the homeless to be. I'm really shocked. This conversation went this way, but (laughs) that you would be shocked. And I don't remember the percentage of the money that supposedly goes to the homeless foundations or the whatever homeless for from the government. Really, majority of that money is paid out to people that are on the board, like of the committees. And and so they say it, it's pretty staggering from what I understand.
1: You know, I don't know all of it, but yeah, it's unfortunately a bit of trickle down. And, you know, uh, just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean people aren't getting paid. But we're not going to solve that problem. So I'm going to redirect back to <laughs> yeah. our problem yeah. today. For sure. Is, yeah. If you have an addiction, and I don't know who doesn't, you know, we're tough in the contracting trade. Well, frankly, I don't know how you can make it. It takes a certain level of thick skin. But unless you reach out for help, it's really a tough thing to do. And we all need help. I didn't lose weight on my own. I didn't get to the problem for my addiction until I finally faced the fact that I was eating my stress and, you know, what I was doing to myself and you know obviously people with alcohol and drugs there's no shortage to addictions gambling there's a bunch of these things but back to you as contractors if we allow our business to run us instead of us run our business we open ourselves up to these issues in my opinion in a much bigger way but if we learn to take control of ourselves and of our business in a structured way That allows us to break free and to get our life back, which was my goal. So the story that Tommy always tells is because I told him at the beginning, I had two young daughters and I told my wife, I'm going to be home less, which you can imagine went over really well. I wasn't wasn't home that often as it was, but I told her the reason was, is because I was going to focus on being able to take young, willing apprentices with no skills to willing techs with great skills. And that's two years from now we're going to be on vacation and they're not going to be bothering my phone all day long. Cause that's what happened. Anytime I was quote unquote off, they'd be calling me all the time, all the time. And, you know, just multiply people think, Oh, the bigger my company gets, it'll all be fixed. I'm here to say, no, it will not. It's just more gasoline to a fire. If that's what you're thinking is going to fix your company. So, I did all the things, which is we wrote the manuals. Then we built the training center, which was our mistake the first time, based on what was in the table of contents in the manuals, building the right hands-on training center. And then we learned how to become better trainers, and we created training curriculum. So as I mentioned before, I could train those who I had trained to run the classes. I wasn't the only one. My whole mindset began to think is, if one person can do it it's a hobby if all of us can do it well then it's something we do
0: dude
1: 100% and it was just the
0: it was the best thing that you could have done it's just like an integrator right a lot of people a lot of yes. people in the right it's sort of the same thing and i admire that clear I got, I got, yes. focus I, I, you're Go speaking
1: ahead. to Gino Wickman just so we're clear is that Gino Wickman's yep. rocket fuel yes you got it how many made me read the book? I didn't even know those two terms existed because there was nobody to my right or left. I had to be both. But I did come to understand that not everybody is both. And then if you can find this marriage between the visionary, the one who can, what I used to say, Corey, years ago, is I could see in partnerships many times, there's a person who can see a mile down the road as to where they want the company to be. And then there's an integrator who's really good about knocking out a block at a time. But the problem is, the visionaries looking this way and the integrators walking this way. My goal was to put them together in a united fashion and then a systematic approach to get to the where we wanted to be in that vision. Yes.
0: It, I think that first of all, you're a unicorn. You're right. It is interesting because I don't know I don't know too many people that are both, but I know they're out there for sure. I am for, I am certainly the visionary. I can see like this project that that I talked to you about. I can see, I can sit and I can map out exactly where these things are going to go in my brain. Now, for me to be able to tell you all that stuff, it's going to be maybe a little bit jumbled. But visually, I understand exactly how we're going to get there. And so fortunately, I have the person that's going to understand the things I don't want to understand, right? It's important to understand. It's important to know that about yourself. And so anyhow.
1: I totally agree with that. And, you know, the idea that I don't learn anything is a ridiculous session. I'm still learning today. And the day I stopped learning, my dad and my aunt, who was brilliant, they said the day you stop learning, you're done. And I don't mean in a good way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because you got to keep the sharp and that's what happens. You see people yes. retire and they do, they go do the thing that they thought they were supposed to do, which is sit around and do nothing. And that's a quick way to the grave.
1: I uh, actually got a, a front row seat to what you're speaking to because at my shop, because we were a union shop, we, they really had a great pension, which was another reason they stayed in. And then they thought to themselves, well, I love fishing. I'll go fishing every day. Uh, no, I love golf. I will do that every day. No, the ones who lasted the most are people that either had like they had a charity or they wanted to work for a religious institution. They had somewhere to go and a calling for whatever they were going to do. Or even they just worked a couple of days with us because it was great that they were around. They were actually inspirational to all the younger staff. We had one guy, his name is Louie. He uh, he was an incredible fabricator, welder, my brother Richie and I used to meet him uh, out to fix our trucks because we had the big tanker trucks and he'd be working outdoors. And so we find out that he's closing up and he and his partner are splitting and he's going to close the door. And Richie and I go talk to him out in the cold in Brooklyn. And he said, Lou, we'd love you to come to work. And he starts to laugh. He goes, you know, I'm 68. So I said, well, you know what? Come work a year or two. Let's just see how it goes." Well, the end of the story is he was 90 and still productive every day that he worked at our company, every day. And anybody else who felt like slacking, they, you know, they just took, he was just such a positive, you know, everything that radiated him, including his skill set. Finally, we just said, you know what, Louie, you can't go on these ladders anymore. (laughs) We're just not going to let that happen Yeah, I think that is a
0: good uh, that's a killer story. And it's a great, great inspirational story for anybody listening, because look, and even if you're not 90 years old, if you're 20 years old and you're sitting around and you're not out and you're not out walking or moving around or getting some sort of exercise. Look, it's gonna be a hard life. I'm just going to tell you right now. Look, I was a fat kid. I've been, you know, I've been sober for 13 and a half years. I've done a few bad shit in my life. I've had to go through a few things, but look, the other side of it, I promise you is better. It sucks getting there, but it's just like starting a business. That part's not really that fun after the newness wears off, which wears off. Yeah, real quick. Yeah,
1: It's all exciting. <laughs> I don't have to work for that boss anymore. My own boss. And then pretty soon when you're your own boss, you know, we all make the mistake is I'm going to buy a white truck. I'm going to sell the $5 cheaper than he does. I'm going to work out of my house. I'm going to make a ton of money. Some people do, but most don't. Nine out of 10 will fail. Because if you're not set up to be in business, and you don't even know what it is, because you were fed a fish over and over again, you never learned how to fish in a business sense while you were a great tech. And so there's so many lessons to be learned. Now, there's great books, there's great blogs, there's great Facebook groups. But this gets to the other point, Corey, that I always speak to. And I speak to it actually in the book as well, which is if you pluck stuff from all over and think it's all going to fit together, here's what I promise you. No, it will not. It will not. You're either on your way to building a Frankenstein or what I used to call a junk car, which is a four chassis, Hyundai engine, Toyota seats. It doesn't work. And so having an integrated approach or at least a platform, which is what I stress to people you know, these seven blocks or whatever you buy into is that structure. Then you can begin to sift all the great information because as great as the internet is, as great as Facebook is, and great as all these things, and I firmly believe they are, you're still at the same problem. Are you speaking or listening to a genius or an idiot? And so that's, that's the problem. You have to be your own filter and your own metric and you have to have a system that allows you to sift through that.
0: I agree. A hundred percent agree. And I often wonder, and I'm sure you've probably wondered the same. When you see people ask a question, it's was just general question, whatever it is. And you hear a litany of answers. And I'm like, you don't know the context of the question. You don't, you got to ask this guy more questions before you start firing off. You need to go hire a marketing company. Like you don't know the guy's situation. And so, you know, as cliche as it may be like, it always depends. And you got to ask <laughs> that know, question it,
1: first. <laughs> you, know, that's the, you know, when I first started this business, I went to, uh, to my friends and I said, tell me what you don't like about consultants. Well, let's just say it was a long and passionate list. <laughs> right. And when, what they said is they never go away. They're always doing or selling something. And then they don't have anything that works without them they're always the one that have to make it work. And if they're not there, then they really haven't done anything for you. And then, you know, there's just this whole mix of things that I, so my goal was to bring these systems in that work because I've taught you how to work them. And when I'm gone, I don't need to be the one that's coming back to make it all work. And so I continue my relationship with so many of my clients at this point, it's all free. I don't, my my goal wasn't to become their consultant for life, but many have you know stayed. They like the arrangement. And, you know, we I'm so proud of so much of the success that they have done. And they're really grateful, Corey, to me, and you know about how much that I helped them. But I will tell you, I pretty much have the same information, which means that I know how to teach you how to use a shovel, how to dig a hole. I will even demonstrate it. But then you have to pick up the shovel and then you have to dig a hole and you have to keep on digging the holes and then you have to make bigger holes. So, really, the credit is for them for being willing to get on my hip and learn the lessons and move forward so that they can be self sufficient and create this whole platform within their own company, no matter where they want to go, no matter what they want to do.
0: The best piece of advice you could have given on here, really, because if somebody just hear's that and actually does what you just said, then it'll change their whole life.
1: My it'll hope their is, whole life. my my hope is I know, you know, like I said, going back to the beginning, mentors changed my life. and I never forget that <laughs> if not for my mentors, this old body would be in a basement turning wrenches late in the night, and that's not a pretty sight. And so uh, yeah, you know, it I so many of them, but obviously my dad was always a great business coach. and to his credit, my brothers and I would come up with, you know, ideas to modernize the business, move into different areas. He just wanted us to talk it through with him, so he understood. But he's, you know, basically said, I brought you here not to just listen to what I have to say, but, you know, to go ahead and move this business ahead. And he let us make mistakes, but he would say in the meeting what his thoughts were. It wasn't like after it all fell apart, he would come out of the woods and, you know, smack us around. <laughs> And that's very discouraging. If you're in a a family business together, one of the best things I could advise to you is to get together. And if you can't do it on your own, get yourself, you know, a moderator or somebody that can be arbitrary to this thing so that you can work as a family group. So as I was leaving my business, I know this is a long way back to the (laughs) three-year story, but um, when I was leaving my business, here's what I was firm about. Now, money's money. But these are, and I told this to my brothers. I said, you are always going to be my brothers. And I love you to death. And you are the uncles to my daughters. And that will always be. So the three of us have to figure out how to make this work. Because we're going to be at Thanksgiving dinner together. And we're going to enjoy the fact that we do. And I can tell you 20 years on, we are closer than we have ever been. Now, people go, well, that's because you're not there. Oh, well, my friends, you do not know enough because these kinds of things just end up being an, an atomic bomb and people will never talk to one another again. How many stories do you know like that? Tons so of them. Many. We worked on the personal part of it as well as the business part of it to make sure. And again, I wasn't going to leave them, but I, it was also selfish. <laughs> and I told my brothers <laughs> selfishly, I'm going to make sure all these systems are in place and I'm going to make sure the right people are here so that I'm not coming back because I'm going to be working on my business and you're going to be in a good place from here on out. And you know what? 20 years down the road, they are.
0: Tremendous. The personal relationships you keep in that personal relationship with them without a doubt set you up. And look, that can be with anybody. It doesn't have, just have to be with family members, but while we're on family members, It's usually a pretty interesting dynamic with family members. It's really an interesting dynamic because usually that, well, I can't say usually sometimes it's not the person you think you should be talking to. Sometimes it's somebody you don't even realize in the background that just that can mess things up for you.
1: Yes. Well, my father was really good about keeping our spouses out of the business. He told us very early and he goes, you know, and then we had, buy cells and because, you know, we didn't want to be part. We love our sister-in-laws, but we didn't want to be partners with them and they didn't want to be in the business. And if the kids wanted to come in, we had already put plans into how to do it the right way. So I've worked with a lot of clients to help them introduce their kids into the business the right way versus the destructive ways that can happen. They're, the interesting part to me, though, is i worked with a lot of partners that were as close as brothers could ever be. Because they had this dream together. They started in the truck together. They went off and built this business. And, you know, but so even if you're not blood related, you kind of act like you're blood related. You hang together, you do stuff together. I just did a, a quick video on one of those things about you can only have one set of hands on the steering wheel. You can all be in the car, you can all participate, but one person needs to do it. So there's a great company I worked up in Rochester. And uh, she had the control of the car. That didn't mean everybody else sat in the car like you were a kid, where you shut up and don't say anything. They participated. But ultimately, one person is in charge of steering the car. So in that relationship, you guys need to decide how to make that work. Because if everybody's grabbing for the steering wheel, I'm going to tell you it's bad. Actually, it reminds me of a story. (laughs) is that uh, when we were young we were in our twenties by the time I I arrived in and my brothers and I spent more time doing this banging heads and we were micromanaging each other and critiquing each other. You follow how that goes. And my father was very, you know, not like he was much quieter. And and he grew up on a farm, which I always kind of laugh because the farm was in New York city. That's how long ago it was anyway. So he says to us, you know, boys, I was thinking that if we all get on the same side of the car and push, we're going to go a lot further and a lot faster. And he walks out of the room and myself and Richie and Marty look at each other. And then we go, Oh, we have to stop banging heads. So that was kind of the informal, okay. You know what, Marty, you do this, Richie, you do this, Al, you do this. And then it was already better because of this illustration, conversation, tiebreaker, you call it whatever you like. Now I have to tell you, Corey, there's a lot of businesses I worked with, that ultimately we paid family members to stay home because they were so destructive.
0: I absolutely believe that.
1: Yes. And probably
0: paid them a handsome salary to stay home. And it was probably well, well worth it.
1: If need be. Yeah. I do believe that a really well-constructed buy-sell is critical. And unfortunately in my family life, it came up with my dad and my uncle. My uncle passed away. They had a buy-sell uh, but it wasn't kept up often enough. It wasn't objective enough. It didn't, and it didn't really hold up. But working with Ellen Rohr, who was my co-consultant, we did work on a lot of jobs. And we also worked in the Zoom drain franchise with the great Jim Granitti, is that we're big believers in the five Ds for a well-written buy sell, which means it addresses disaster. <laughs> so the area gets wiped off the face of the earth, like Hurricane Sandy almost did to our company. Who's putting money in? Who's not? And then or how far do we dig a hole? you know, divorce? Now you have a divorce, that affects things. But if you and I don't wanna to work together and if I have to spend one more minute in this office with you, I'm gonna kill myself. Sorry for being dramatic. But the reality is we need a divorce from one another. We gotta go off and do our own thing. So debt, death, divorce, disability. Disability is the one that I missed here. Disability is, heaven forbid you get hurt in a way that you can't perform. It's bad on you. It's bad on your family, but it also leaves us in a lurch in the business. So we have to be able to address these things. So five D's, you know, it's something that I always talk about. You need to do it. And then it has to be reviewed at least once a year and signed off on, or it's really not going to be that parachute that all of you need.
0: That's right. It's not something you want to sweep under the rug. What's interesting though, the divorce part, I think that's where I don't think, I believe that when most partners get together, they think, just like I have thought in the past, this is never going to end. It's never going to end. This is the end of the day. This is it. This is my last day. Honey, I love you.
1: We'll always be together. (laughs) I, to be half kidding, I uh, am married 45 years and people, young people always ask, how did you do that? I go, it's pretty easy. I married a woman who's as stubborn as me. We both thought each other would quit, and here we still are. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it is, it is, you know, it's really core values. Is I know it's oversaid, but my wife and I have always had core values that are aligned. We're very different people, and I don't believe that to if you're both big talkers, there's not enough space. <laughs> and if nobody's a social, then that's going to be a problem. But whatever it is. You know, more open dialogue, which, by the way, I can tell you, this is actually backwards. The better I became at my own company as a leader and a trainer and all the other things, I actually became a better father and a better husband because I stopped talking all the time. And I started to listen to them answer my questions without me preparing my defense or correcting them. And it really deepened that relationship. But I didn't learn it that way. I learned it by working with young staff. Another
0: huge takeaway, active listening. And the exact same thing happened to me. This has not been, this has just been recently. Just tell you a quick story. I was, I've been sobered a little over 13 years. And I went to AA for six months, six years and decided I'm just summing this up for you. My ego got too big and I decided I didn't need to go back. So I didn't. And I long story short, I was having a conversation with a guy. I think it was back in October, maybe. And he'd been in recovery about the same amount of time. And I was explaining to him my reason, which was I didn't want to say I am an alcoholic. Because if you say I am, you know, the words that fall after that. It was really silly. It's not silly, I suppose, but it was a weird, it was a silly reason for me to It was just an excuse, to be honest. And so what I realized in that conversation with this gentleman is he said, you know, he said, Corey, I've had some of those same feelings. He said, but maybe it's not about you. And and I'm like,
1: that is so good.
0: Yeah, that is so good. Well, he said, Corey, he said, you have a lot of influence. He said, and you're literally pissing it away by not having these conversations. He's right. So I went back to AA the next day, and like my life has significantly gotten better because I'm back on, I'm back in the groove, if that makes any sense.
1: It makes total sense. And that's what I was saying is part of the problem. What makes us great as contractors is we're independent, we're hard thinking, we're hard working, we're all of this. So when it comes to our personal lives, like I said, food is an addiction, alcohol, drugs, you name it, gambling, all of it is an addiction. You know, why is the addiction is really more of the problem. It's not the activity you chose to satiate that. It's the why. And what are the triggers? Because we all have triggers. You know, (laughs) I I always laugh because I think about how bad was, you know, my my eating problem. Well, I used to route my day so that I would end at my favorite Italian deli so I could get a meatball sub if I could work the right stops in the right direction. (laughs) That's when you know you have a problem. The second way I know I had a problem is I was in a restaurant in New York City and I'm six, two. And the guy looks at me at the, you know, the major Dean and goes, so what football team do you play for? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? these bumps in the road, as we see them or these obstacles that we do. Ellen has a great line that she shared with me Whether depending on your own beliefs, you know, great beyond. But Ellen said to me, she knows sometimes the Lord uses a feather to get your attention, but if you're not listening, he will use a brick. <laughs> yeah,
0: 100%. But here's the thing about that. I've, that is one of the hardest things that I, well, not hardest things, but that's one of the lessons recently is that it really just kind of ties right into us. The reason I didn't go back is I, Really, my relationship with God or whatever you believe, but my, you know, higher power, whatever it is, I really didn't realize that I have I didn't realize how much I had gotten away from that. And so that's really the part in, in not to go into grave detail, but there's some events that happened on my daughter. And that's what it took all those things for me to realize I look, she's 13. I there's nothing I can do about what she's going to do. And it's taken me quite a long time to realize that. But once I realized that, my life has been significantly better because I don't stress about
1: stupid stuff that I have zero control over. Zero control. You know, and this is such a great topic and a pretty good way to, to for us to come back to is pretty much every client that I worked with was a control freak. How do I know? Because I am one. Yep. Pretty <laughs> much they're a perfectionist. How do I know? Cause I was one. Here's the thing when I was in Weight Watchers and I was there more times than I'd like to count, I had a really good teacher and she said, look around this room. Everyone in this room is a perfectionist. And I'm looking at all of us that are heavy and I'm going, how is this perfect? She goes, you are attached to perfectionism. So when you eat a candy bar all of a sudden perfection's gone. And now you're just going to stuff your face to make up for all the sins that you did. And then you'll start again. The famous thing was always like, you know, Monday. I'll start my diet again on Monday as if you could control that. And all of us have our different things. But my point for you guys here is that you've got to let go of perfectionism. And until I did, and I learned a very good phrase for myself. At the end of the day, I said to myself, good enough for today. I'll make it better tomorrow because I had to be able to leave it or otherwise I was always building my perfect dream car that never got on the highway and any car on the highway is going to beat my dream car in my garage
0: that's right yeah a hundred percent lots of times you just have to put one foot in front of the next and that is a great point you know I think and I str- I work from home so Lord have mercy it's I'm not saying that it's necessarily worse but maybe because I'm I, it, like, it's not like I have a cutoff. It's not like I could step out one door into another. I mean, physically, I suppose, in my office, but we're in the same building, so, or the same house. So it is sometimes really hard to differ, differentiate. I can't say that word. Differentiate. It. I, I won't even. Yeah, because it. I'm, a,
1: I'm such a wordsmith. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> I, I have, I'm such a wordsmith. I have two editors, my wife. And Helena, who edited my book for me, yeah, that's how good I am. Yeah,
0: no chance <laughs> I edited it. Yeah, I've, I certainly
1: had somebody do my I, book. I'm as dyslexic. Well, so. I'm dyslexic, and are I'm you really? Yeah, yeah. All of us, you know, a lot of contractors, a lot of contractors are dyslexic. A lot of them have ADHD, which is they, why yeah.
0: I actually love working with them. <laughs> the part, so that really, I'm look out. I'm dead serious. Think about this. I cuss a lot. Tamp it down here. But I, I came from New York
1: and I cussed a lot. And then when I got trained to be what I did, they said you can't curse anymore. So I had to come up with words that are close to it, cover your anatomy. A hundred percent. But you got to be able to read the room too. And I yes. know that you know when
0: you're in the presence of somebody that you can have that maybe a little bit trashier conversation, maybe not trashy is the right word, but a little bit more spicier conversation. A little conversation. more
1: colorful. Colorful. Yeah. Let's go with colorful. Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, Spicy was a terrible rebound on that. That wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, colorful conversation. And, it's, and I've not always been able to read the room. Sometimes, you know,
1: sometimes I for sure they, have not read the room. Corey, you and I both love sales. And I was yeah. great at sales. And the only reason I got good at all this other stuff is because my team blew it up. So I had to come back and do all this other stuff. But I really... Was awful at sales. People kind of laugh because they've seen me on stage and how I've taught so many people how to be good at sales. It is a very learnable skill if you can do it in a systematic way. And of course, I have a systematic way that I taught people how to do sales, but I did everything wrong. I stared at my feet. I was shy. I muttered, never made eye contact, you know, just everything you could do wrong. Till I finally learned how to do everything right. But it's one step in front of the other. Is it I'm awful at sales and tomorrow I'll be the best salesperson ever in the world. But that's kind of how we jump. You know, it's this great vision, getting back to the vision. If you say to yourself, I'm going to become better at sales. I'm going to serve my customers better because that's the essence of sales. You can be that tomorrow, tomorrow, not six months from there, not six years from now, you can be that tomorrow. Will you, take one step in that direction and keep it. Cause if you do, you're moving ahead. Even the expression, which I used to hate two step forward, one step back is progress. You know, depending on how much time you have, learn how to take two <laughs> steps forward and stop going backwards.
0: Well, here's the other thing. You don't have to have some slick thing to say to, to the customers. You don't have to try no. to, you don't have to do any of that. In fact,
1: It's the worst thing you can do because they already expect that. I'm sorry for laughing because as soon as you said that, Corey, (laughs) I went to my dad. Remember, I mentioned I was bad at sales and I wanted to get better. And my dad was great. And he was anything but what you would expect. He was quiet. And when he would sit in in a call, because I would go with him as he was talking like this loud, people would begin to lean in. And they just saw he had a huge smile on his face. And he would ask questions and he would make notes. But everyone who sat with across from him knew that he was there for them. That was the, if I can only tell you in eight seconds what you should do. So anyway, I said to him, "Dad, do you have a great closing line so I could be better at sales?" And my dad looks at me and he starts to laugh. And I go, "What's so funny?" He goes, "Al, if you need a great closing line, you've really been bad up to this point." <laughs> That's the truth. That's so true. <laughs> it's true. It really yeah. is no. All I was going to say is, I got to the point where you mentioned about kind of. I was so passionate that people would stu- interrupt me as I was making my sales presentation. Go, you know what, Al sounds great. Let's. How soon can we get started? You know what? I'll get to that in a minute. Let me finish this point. <laughs> <laughs> I've been begging you to take their money. You're begging me to take their money right now.
0: That is so funny. That is so funny. So,
1: that was a great. Said, that was a great active, active listening.
0: Oh, dude, it is one of the most important things. Look, there's two things that anybody listening to this call. If they were to do better today or tomorrow, let's say today, there's two things that you could do better today. Just learn how to be a good active listener, which just takes practice
1: and follow up on your damn leads. Yes. When I would get into a sales slump, my dad always said to me, make one more call, stop by one more customer. But the analogy that I locked into my head is you're swinging a pickaxe at an iceberg and you're not getting anywhere. And you're entitled to feel like you want to quit. But you also have to remember one more swing might break this whole thing open. And that's what I was willing to do. And so many more talented people than me just got up against that iceberg and go, well, I'm done. And, uh, you know, I just, I never thought of myself as like, super talented but i knew what my super talent is i'll still be going when you quit
0: yeah yeah it's not a common trait with people coming up either i'll be honest it's just not
1: i have a a mixed feeling on that because i train so many millennials all around the country and when they know their why because they're not going to just do stuff but if you spend the time early on with them about why you do what you do and how it helps people and how they can get the future they want, they are not just good. They are phenomenally good. Listen to me all, everyone I'm talking to here. Now, I haven't worked as much with the next gen wise and direct, but that is happening more. And I haven't found a break, it's pretty much the same thing. You better be really good about your why.
0: Once again, A thousand percent. And look, that will work in any generation. Doesn't matter. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It will. Absolutely. But it takes patience. It takes good questions. It takes you wanting to spend some time with that individual to learn about that person. Not so you could sit and talk to him.
1: 101. So what makes you think customers is the only place that applies? It applies to the people at your shop. It applies to your kids. It applies to your significant other. You know, shut off the microphones, what I was told, and open up the receivers.
0: Yeah. So many people get that wrong. And it's fascinating. Whenever somebody answers a question or answers me with something that is totally irrelevant, I just didn't think. Sometimes people don't even know right they don't even know that they're answering you in this irrelevant way lots of times because of that right this is the biggest mind control device on the planet
1: i make them turn their phone upside down or put it in a drawer because i didn't always i always knew this was a distraction but there was a great survey out about that if your phone lights up and you don't even look at it because it's turned upside down the next 20 minutes are gone fact so You've got to set what I teach in my time management class was you've got to set a time to tell people I'm going to check it at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. If you needed that done faster, you're going to have to figure out something else or do something in the middle. But that's the only way you're going to take. And I call it time blocking. You have to
0: time block. Absolutely. And you're and that statistic is absolutely correct. So imagine just that stupid
1: ding, right? Just that ding. Oh, the ding. And I have right. mine on, I have mine on uh, vibrate. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The lights upside down if I'm staring at it, which I have to put into, you know, a different thing. Yeah. That's I really keep mine on. I have to.
0: I think yeah. that statistic alone probably just seared it into my brain when I heard it several years ago. It's helped yeah. my, It's helped my focus tremendously doing that.
1: It's done the same thing with me is I keep the stuff closed, but I have a reminder that just pops up and says time to check phone, email, text or whatever. And when I'm not, you guys get pounded from every way, but as a company owner, the more you get people that report to you or to your managers to know what they need to do, you will start to get your life back and they will feel more empowered. And that yes is org charts, manuals, staffing power, all the things that I still do and do online these days, it applies to you. So whoever you decide to go and find it or buy it from or make it yourself, it's the best work you will ever do. You know, it. people
0: like to know if you're the boss and I'm working for you, I want to know you got a freaking plan if you're in charge of my check. <laughs> if you're in charge of my check, you know? Yeah,
1: well, really? I, I, got, I chose to get in your car. Right. And where are we going? Yes. One thing I want to point out before we wrap this up, and
0: you said something really hit home that I hope if, if you could be that big brother, right? I don't mean big brother, go out and get drunk. Not that big brother, (laughs) the big brother that, like we just said with the active listing and just taking an interest in them, something completely outside of work. It'll change the game for you. It'll change the game.
1: I think, you know, it's uh, people don't care what you do until you've shown that, that you care. And right. so for me, it was learning a balance. We're not born managers, especially if, like, I was a technician working in the field. What qualifications was that for me to be a manager? And when you appoint your best tech to all of a sudden be this field supervisor that I talk about, how did they become a boss? Or Well, they watched horrible bosses, and they decided they're <laughs> just going to be an SOB to everybody. Or they're going to be everybody's buddy, and it's not either one. So there needs to be some training skills. But you need to work on your own leadership skills. I went to a lot of great training years and years ago, and I've read some of the best books out there. And then I learned and did my own self-debrief and how I could get better and better on it. And I was, you know, measured the results, because that's the only way you do.
0: Yes. You know, one of the things that I have people do that, that want to get better on video and, and camera or Zoom, or whatever, is I have them just do videos to themselves, 30 days, have them do 30 days worth of videos, five takes a day, 20, 25 seconds. You don't have to do anything with it. Massive change happens, you know, because you can see yourself. And, do.
1: I, and that, I'm going to try and be respectful of the time here. Yes. So when we finally decided to, we had the manuals, we were building the training center, going to take this training in my great friend dan hollahan says to me who was a phenomenal speaker as well as knowing his subject you know monster i was very fortunate to have this great person be my influence he goes out the only way you're going to become a better trainer is you have to videotape yourself so i was videotaping my class quarry. i turned to write something on a whiteboard and i wrote for 15 minutes and never looked back and the only reason they didn't throw anything at me is because i signed their check but because I watched the video and I saw what I was doing and what my face looked like, I didn't even need somebody. I just began to self-correct every time I would run the that thing. That's what made a yeah. difference.
0: hundred yeah. percent. Well, Al, this has been tremendous conversation. It's I do been a really lot of appreciate fun it. For me.
1: I really always appreciate the, this perspective. And you know what guys, I know we bounced all over the world here, but it, was all good information because your business is not separate from you matter of fact your 10 golden rules for your business need to be aligned with your 10 personal goals 100 Al, where can they find you you can find me at what you see here the seven power contractor so the seven number seven power contractor.com i offer a free 30 if you guys go to connect with al on that page at seven power you're a contractor. Let me know you want to have a free 30. I'm happy to do it. It's my gift back to the industry.
0: And I will put that link in the show notes so you don't even have to go looking for it. There you go. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. My pleasure. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination.